Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Well, we said that this week was going to be a big week, and as it turned out, it's been a pretty big week. Merrimack men's basketball, they won the NEC championship on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about that. Merrimack men's hockey, they've got the quarterfinals against Boston College coming up this weekend. We finally know that they're going to play BC after the games that happened on Wednesday night. Uh, but let's get to it. There's a lot to talk about. Scott Bork's going to join us in a little bit to talk about the men's hockey team and their game on Saturday night against Boston College. But let's start first with Merrimack men's basketball team winning the Northeast Conference Championship in dramatic fashion. What a game. 67-66 over FDU on Tuesday night, uh, a night that the school was showcased on a national stage. The game broadcast on ESPN2. Uh, the arrival of, of the men's basketball team uh, to to, to national prominence, if you've paid attention to media the last couple of days, Scott Van Pelt on, on SportsCenter uh, was talking about Merrimack and, and advocating that they should be allowed in the March Madness bracket. Uh, PTI on ESPN had uh, Merrimack as one of their, their topics of discussion yesterday as well, talking about how this is kind of a dumb rule. It really is a dumb rule. Let's, let's, let's start with that. This whole four-year waiting period is kind of ridiculous. I can understand if, if they need a waiting period, if the NCAA wants to require one. But look, here's the other thing. I, I would argue that they don't even need the waiting period. The, the, the idea that it exists is because they don't want teams going up and down to Division One every couple of years when they think they're loaded and can make the NCAAs. But here's one thing, and again, because the NCAA doesn't very often think things through all the way, Here's something that they need to consider. Conferences in today's day and age do a lot of vetting. I don't think you're going to see teams come into D1 for a year and then go back down to D2 just because they think they have a good basketball team for a year. And if they were to do that, what conference is going to take them? Maybe, maybe... Maybe they do it once. Maybe they do it one time, but once they drop back down to D2, what conference is going to take them if it looks like that's all they want to do? These conferences, do so. there's such a long vetting process before a conference will accept a new school. Look at what happened with Merrimack and the NEC. That didn't happen overnight. That was years in the making. It was literally years in the making. They started talking about Merrimack going Division One in all sports in like 2012, 2013. That's when, when it was first talked about, and I first reported on it. It didn't happen until four years ago. It was a five-year process. So this idea that teams are going to just jump up and down between Division One and Division Two because, oh, we think we got a good basketball team this year. If we jump up, we can make the tournament. 
It's ridiculous. And not to mention, you need to be in a conference in order for that to even be worth it. Because if you're an independent playing a bad schedule and you go 35-0, and 0, you're still not going to make the tournament. You're going to win an automatic berth. And if you're going to win an automatic bid, you got to be in a tournament. you got to be in a conference. I just don't – I don't think the NCAA thinks this through. But they were talking about the potential uh, – what was it, Charleston, I think? is like 31-3. and three. They won their conference tournament the other night. Let me look this up. I think they were 31-3. and three. College of Charleston. There it is. They beat UNC Wilmington 63-58. to 58. They finished 31-3. and three. And that was in the CAA tournament. There was talk that even at 31-3, and three, Charleston may not have made the bracket if they lost. So the only way a team would jump up and down to get it, they would have to get an automatic berth, which means they would have to be in a conference. And no conference is going to take a school for a year. Nobody's going to do that. So this idea that this transitional waiting period is going to prevent teams from jumping up and down is ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. It, it, it's not a real thing. They're fixing a problem that doesn't exist, which is, by the way, peak NCAA. <laughs> Let's ignore the problems that we actually have and fix a problem that doesn't actually exist. I mean, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the way the NCAA has been run for the last 30 years, that sums it up right there. We're solving problems that don't exist and completely ignoring the many problems that we do have. So that's my, that's my thing. Is just like, that's their rationale. That's the rationale. Is that if we don't have this rule, teams would just jump up and down at any given point, whatever they wanted. Not without a league. And without a league, what does it matter? What does it matter? So it, it's a dumb rule. If you want to give it a two-year period, fine. In my opinion, if you're good enough to make the NCAA tournament, you should be in the NCAA tournament. Enough. Come on. And it's happened with men's soccer at Merrimack. It happened with men's soccer at UMass Lowell, I remember. It happened with Bellarmine last year. That That's the thing. Like... I, <laughs> Merrimack, I don't know if you're allowed. I think you're still allowed to play until the championship games, until the NCAA finals are over. But wouldn't, wouldn't like a Merrimack Bellarmine <laughs> exhibition game at this point be fun? Call it like the ineligible classic or something like that. Because <laughs> Bellarmine won their tournament last year. They won the was it the Atlantic Sun tournament, I think. And in the same situation as Merrimack, wasn't allowed to go to the NCAA tournament. That's not, I mean, honestly, that's something that like a barstool sports would normally be all over. You know, the ineligible invitational, Merrimack against Bellarmine. At the very least, those schools need to play each other in non-conference next year. we got to make that happen. The ineligible classic. <laughs> uh, but look, if you want to change the, the rule to two years, I'm, I'm more on board with that. I think it's ludicrous that you even have it at all. Or if you're, if you're that concerned about teams jumping up and down, make it a financial penalty. Make it so costly that no team would think of doing it. Because you're worried about small schools doing it. Division two schools going up and down. So, okay, you can jump into Division one. That's fine. If you jump back down within the first five years, it's a $5 million fine. Something crazy. Something that the, those athletic departments would never be able to afford, so they would never entertain it. 
could do that instead of punishing the student athletes. The student athletes said, by the way, the NCAA likes to say all the time, well, we're about the student athlete experience. We're about the student athlete experience. No, you're not. Shut up. You're not about the student athlete experience. If you were, this wouldn't be a rule. And again, Merrimack has taken the right approach. There's nothing we can do about it. It's out of our control. We knew what we were signing up for. That, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, they're saying the right things, and, and that's the truth. And that's the truth. But who's getting punished with this rule? The, the, the teams that may try to scheme the system and go up and down every other year? Are those teams getting punished? No, because those teams don't exist. Or are you hurting a bunch of student-athletes on a Merrimack team that could be going to March Madness? Are you hurting a bunch of student-athletes on a Bellarmine team that could have went to March Madness last year? Who's really getting hurt by this? It's, it's dumb. I'm sorry. It's a dumb rule. And they won't change it because, again, what, <laughs> again, they're, they're, they're solving problems that don't exist and, and sticking their head in the sand against some of the problems that do actually exist. But that, that's a whole other thing. Maybe they should. somebody should sue them, honestly. I mean, the NCAA has such a, a horrific record in the courts. Maybe a class action lawsuit. The Bellarmine and Merrimack players, class action lawsuit against the NCAA. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's a dumb rule. It's what they signed up for, but it's a dumb rule, simply put. Uh, now, looking ahead, they are eligible, Merrimack is, for the tournament next year, if they were to win the NEC again. And could they run it back with the same group? I think they probably could there's no indication yet i mean nobody has concretely or definitively said what their plans are but the only seniors on the team were jordan mccoy ziggy reed and jordan minor and all of them are fourth year seniors which sounds ridiculous but in the year when in the times where we still have the COVID year in play and players are eligible for a fifth year you all three of those guys could come back for a fifth season if they wanted to and if that were to happen you were already the best team in the NEC this year. You could run the same group back and have Minor, Reed, and McCoy all be a year older. You could be the best team in the NEC again next year. And next year, no one's stopping you from going to March Madness if you win the NEC tournament. So they could run it back. They could run it back. And there's no indication yet that that will happen. I'm just I'm throwing it out there to get, up, to get it on people's radars that there's a chance... All three of those guys decide we're going to come back, or even if two of them decide we're going to come back, it would be huge. And and will they have options? I'm sure, yeah. Whether it's in the transfer portal, whether it's in pro basketball, you know, somewhere over in Europe or something, I'm sure those guys will have options. Mikey Watkins had an option this past year. He went to UMass Lowell. So they'll have options if they if they want to explore those. But the thing is, is like you just came off – I don't know. There's There's something to be said for, all right, we just won this tournament. We just won the regular season. We're the best team in the league. We got screwed out of March Madness because of a dumb rule. What if we bring this group back, run it back for one more year, and and do it again and get to the tournament this time? Where we Get to the tournament, the spot that we should have been in a year ago. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. And it's not like – I mean, look – I'm saying this is a 38-year-old guy. Like, I'd go back to college in a second if I was an athlete. <laughs> but what what's the rush? I mean, look, if you really need to get a job, if you have a job offer and you really need to get a job or whatever, okay, fine. But, like, there's worse things you could be doing than staying at Merrimack for a fifth year, getting a graduate degree, 
and playing another season of college basketball with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder to go out there and make sure you do it again. Like there's there's worse ways to spend a year, you know. There's much worse ways to spend a year. Don't be in such a, a rush to grow up. <laughs> I I wish I wish I could go back. <laughs> I think a lot of us do. Uh, but yeah, it's they they could run it back again, which is kind of crazy. We'll see how that unfolds here over the next couple of months. But you know, Tuesday Tuesday was was a really fun night, and I think it goes to show you too what Merrimack can bring or has brought to the Northeast Conference and why Merrimack was an attractive piece to the Northeast Conference when they were looking to expand. I mean, I would say this. Look at what the NEC, look at where the NEC title game is usually played. I think last year was at Bryant. Decent gym, but it's it's a gym. You know, it's a bigger version, essentially, of what a lot of these guys probably played in when they were in high school. And, and by the way, Hamill Court's the same way. I'm, I'm not, you know, it, it is what it is. But, Look at where the NEC championship game was played on Tuesday. There's 2,200 fans there. More than 2,200 fans there. That's that's a great crowd. That's a great crowd. The lighting was perfect for ESPN. It looked great on television. The place was packed. It was loud. It was an arena. You know, it wasn't. The gym at Bryant, no offense to the gym at Bryant, but like it didn't, it, the setting looked like it was more of a mid-major than a, one of the smaller conferences in, in college basketball, which is what the NEC is. So it was a great way for the NEC to showcase itself on a national stage by having that game at Lawler in front of a big crowd in a bigger building. Like that was, that was great for the NEC. It was great for for Merrimack to be able to showcase yourself in in that type of environment. But it was great for the NEC to have that image of the conference on television. I'm looking at the attendance last year for the NEC title game. Uh, It's officially in the box score as zero. So that's obviously not correct. But that's what it's listed as uh, from from Brian. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No. That was – I'm looking at the wrong game. I apologize. That was Bryant against Wright State, which was in – uh, that was not the NEC tournament. Bryant and Wright State last year was in, uh, what's it, the CBI? Where did they go last year? Wherever they went to. Oh, no, they were in the first four because they won, they, yeah, they were in the first four because they won the, they won the NEC. They beat Wagner in the NEC final. That's who they beat. The attendance there was 2650 according, according to the box score. So roughly the same as, as what Merrimax was, but. I think Merrimack looked better on television. I think that's a, a way, for, for, again, for the NEC to showcase itself. It's a good night for the league. And this is what I talk about, too. Like, to bring it back to hockey for a second, when people always talk about, well, you know, hockey East needs a 12th team, and don't be in such a rush. Merrimack, my point is, is Merrimack brought something to the NEC. They brought together, they brought a, a, a first of all, a passionate athletic department an athletic department that is clearly invested in winning, that cares a lot about winning. I I wrote about that last week. I mean, you don't see the president of the college and the athletic director sitting courtside at these games. It's just, it doesn't happen everywhere. There's a lot of places where these where they're not, they run the, the departments, but they're not really as connected and as invested as fans the way that a lot of the administration of Merrimack is. So they brought that. And, and they brought, 
you know, with, with the game at Lawler, they brought a, a way for the league to, to showcase itself on national television. So Hockey East is looking for something very similar with its 12th team. And that's what I say when, when I, what's what I mean when I say, look, they're not going to take just anybody. They're not just going to take Holy Cross or Sacred Heart. They, the question that, that Joe Pertania would bring up a lot, and he would get it from his bosses who are the athletic directors and the college presidents, so I don't think anything has changed with Steve Metcalf. The, the, thought, the thing that he would bring up all the time when asked about this is, what is a 12th school going to bring to the league? We're looking for someone to bring something to Hockey East. We want, we want them to bring that, that 12th team to bring more to Hockey East than Hockey East is bringing that 12th team. Case in point, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, for as many people as, that hated Notre Dame and Hockey East, they brought a lot to the league because it's Notre Dame. It's one of those recognizable universities in the world. And that school came onto every single one of your campuses for the, the few years that they were in the league. They were one of the most, they are one of the most recognizable athletic departments and programs and schools in the world. I'm sorry, but Holy Cross is not that, and Sacred Heart is not that. Do they have a nice rink? Yeah, Sacred Heart is a brand new rink. It looks gorgeous. But what else What else can they bring to the table? What else can Holy Cross bring to the table, to the league? Not much. And honestly, from a Merrimack standpoint, the last thing you should want is Sacred Heart or Holy Cross or Bentley, who I don't even think is that interested, in Hockey East. That is the last thing you want. The last thing you want is one of those schools to become the 12th team. Right now, Merrimack's bread and butter in hockey East. Can, you can sell that, hey, we're, we're the small school. We have a smaller campus. We're, you don't have to take the green line to get to our classes. You, you can, you're within walking distance to everything. It's a lot more comfortable for some people and for some players. That's attractive. If you're Sacred Heart or Holy Cross, you offer the same thing. Only, if you're Sacred Heart, you offer it with a much better facility than what Merrimack has right now. (laughs) So, the last thing you want is for Sacred Heart to be in the league. Because Sacred Heart, and I'll use them as the prime example, Sacred Heart is going to recruit the same players you're going to recruit. And they're going to be able to offer those players the same things that you can offer those players. Only their facilities blow yours out of the water. Because their facilities are some of the best in the country right now because they're brand new. (laughs) So why on earth would you want a sacred heart in the league? <laughs> it's the last thing you want. It's the absolute last thing any Merrimack fan should want. Because it's going it's to hurt Merrimack. Look, a bigger school coming into the league, it's not going to hurt them as much. Notre Dame coming into the league didn't really hurt Merrimack. Because guess what? Notre Dame and Merrimack were not recruiting the same players. They just weren't. Maybe you know, once in a while you would go up against Notre Dame in a recruiting battle. But it happened very, very frequently. And at the end of the day, I think the league wants someone that brings something to the league. Something where they're bringing more to the league than the league is bringing to them. And in the case of Holy Cross and in the case of Sacred Heart, the league is bringing more to the program than the program is bringing to the league. And that's why I think Hockey East is not interested. It's why they haven't been interested. And honestly, it's why they probably shouldn't be interested. Does 11 teams suck? Yeah, it sucks. Look, I'm not going to lie. It sucks. You got five teams getting a bye. You got, you know, one game weekends in the last weekend of the year. It sucks. But 
I also don't think you should just take anyone just to fill that spot. I think that's stupid. I think you got to be smart about it. You got to make the right decision. You got to bring someone in that brings more to your league. And who knows what? Maybe that's Syracuse in a few years. Maybe that, I mean, Syracuse would be a great fit. Maybe it's someone that hasn't started a program yet, you know, who's starting something up soon. Maybe, I mean, hell, I, I would take Arizona State. Arizona State brings something to your league. Again, a recognizable Power Five school. With, with everything else going on in the NCAA, having an, a Power Five school, you got one of them, you got BC, but having another one in your league might not be a bad thing. Oh, but they're not in the East. Oh, you think people are going to complain about having to go to Tempe in the middle of the winter? Come on. <laughs> Everyone complained about the travel. And I think the travel would be more of an issue for Arizona State having to come out to Boston every other weekend. But that's probably why it will never happen. But you're telling me you wouldn't take Arizona State? You're telling me the, the teams are going to complain about having to go to Tempe, Arizona in the middle of January? Sign me up. Let's go. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't think anyone's complaining about that trip. But we'll see. Uh, Merrimack and BC, uh, they're going to play this weekend. You know, it's interesting. Merrimack swept BC earlier in the year. We're going to talk to Coach Bork about this in a minute. But swept BC earlier in the year, back in November. Does that series not feel like it was ages ago at this point? I mean, I know it was only a few months ago. It feels like it might have been in 2015. It feels like it was just ages ago that that series happened. That Thursday-Saturday series, Merrimack won, I think, 3-1 to one and 5-2. to two. Now they're going to play BC again here on, on Saturday. BC a little bit of a different team. Although I do think, I'll be honest with you, I do think they're a one-line team. I really do. They uh, they went ahead and put Cutter Gautier, Andrew Gasol, and Nikita Nestorenko together as a number one line. And, and, man, I mean, that line is electric. Don't get me wrong. They are electric. But after that, meh. <laughs> Those guys score a lot of their goals. And look, they've got 39 goals between the uh, between the three of them this year. So it's you know about 40% of the team's goals have come from one line. Trevor Kuntar is, is a pretty good player. You know He's got 13 goals. Colby Ambrosio, he's got 10 goals. But those guys were also playing with Gautier at one point earlier in the year and playing with Nestorenko. They kind of had Kuntar and Ambrosio mixed in with that group. And that's when a lot of their production kicked in. Like I look at Trevor Kuntar right, right now. Uh, he has exactly zero goals in the last five games. Colby Ambrosio has two goals since January 27th. Which is 14 games. So Ambrosio has two goals in his last 14 games. Kuntar has been held scoreless in his last five. Do you want to know what those other guys have done over that span? I don't know if I want to tell you. Because it's a little it's a little scary. Uh, Cutter Gautier has in the last, we'll look at the last five games, okay? Gautier has nine points in the last five games. Uh, Nestorenko has seven points in the last five games. And Gasol has six points in the last five games, including four goals. So they're a one-line team. They score a lot of goals, but recently a lot of goals have come from that one line. They lack a lot of depth in scoring. Kuntar and, and Ambrosio are good players. They've struggled since they've been separated from guys like Gautier, Nestorenko, and Gasol. And then after that, I mean, there's not a ton to be afraid of offensively. Even Powell's a good defenseman. He puts up a lot of points. But 
Oscar Jelvik, 17 points. You know, decent freshman year, but he's only got four goals. Cam Burke, he's a transfer. He's got 10 points in the year, but he only has two goals. Mike Posma, 10 points, six goals. Connor Joyce, 10 points, four goals. It's it's a lot of solid players, but nobody that really scares you. Gautier, Nestorenko, and Gasso scare you. Kuntar and Ambrosio, they could do it too, but they've had a lot more success this year when they've been with one of those three guys in the top line. So I really think it's it's the top line. If you're able to shut down that top line, you probably have success against Boston College. It's been arguably one of the best lines in college hockey, definitely in Hockey East, recently. But if you shut down that top line, you know, I think that's where you're going to have success against BC. Obviously, though, one thing to remember here is the importance of the bye. Merrimack had the bye, which is important. And I think it's vitally important, to be honest with you, uh, because it's not a normal week for Boston College now. And it is a normal week for Merrimack. If you think about it, like BC had to prepare for, they had to prepare for this past week, uh, yesterday. The game's on Wednesday. That's what they really had to prepare for. And now you win that game, you know you're going to play on Saturday. You only have two days to prepare. Wednesday excuse me, Thursday, today, is a day after a game. So you're probably not going to go real hard today. Tomorrow is the day before a game. So you're probably not going to go real hard then either. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think that that matters. I think it matters a lot because of the fact that you have a normal week. That normal week, I think, is going to be very, very important. And we saw, you know, how much of a difference it made for UMass Lowell last year. Made a big difference, I thought, for UMass Lowell last year in the first round. UMass Lowell beat Merrimack 7-2 in that first on that quarterfinal game because they avoided having to play on that Wednesday night in the first round. In fact, last year, all four higher seeds won in the quarterfinals. Northeastern beat Boston College 3-2 to two in their quarterfinal game. Obviously, Lowell beat Merrimack 7-2. UMass, they beat Providence 4-2. to And Connecticut beat Boston University 3-1. to So all, and that was the first year I think that they had the the well the first year of this format. The year before was the COVID year. Some things got messed up. You had teams like Merrimack was bounced because of protocols and all that other stuff. So last year was the first year of, of this you know one hundred percent true format, and the home teams won all four of those games because I think it's a big advantage to have a normal week of practice and not have to have a day without practice like you had on Wednesday for those teams because they had to play. You get beat up a little bit in those games. You're now you're a little bit more tired. You know, I think there's something to be said for how important the buys are in those scenarios. If it was a one-week – look, if it was like it was before in Hockey East where the first round were three-game series and then you had a week off before the quarterfinals, I don't think it matters that much. In fact, in those cases, I think the buy can actually hurt you sometimes. 
because you go two weeks without playing a game. But in this scenario, you don't have to play in the middle of the week, but your opponent does. I think that's big. I do. I think that's big. But we'll see how it plays out. Merrimack and BC on Saturday night. Uh, Let's talk more about this series with the head coach of the Merrimack Warriors, Scott Borg. Well, Merrimack knows who they're going to play now. It took a couple days to find out, but BC is coming into Lawler on Saturday night. We're here with uh, Scott Bork, the head coach of the Merrimack Mentaki team. And, Coach, uh, did you watch the games last night? Did you try to kind of let it be and just let the chips fall where they may? Uh, how did you spend your Wednesday night with all those games going on? Well, it's funny because um, we had a team meal at my house, and uh, we had a couple different TVs. And we basically had all three games going. Uh, the only game that we we had kind of we had the one game, the Vermont Maine game, on a uh, you know iPad because it was you know impossible for us to play either of those teams. But you know we watch the other two games fairly closely as a team, and you know as it shakes out, it's obviously BC. But it was uh, you know it's good to get up today and know what your challenge is, and you know get after it in practice and focusing on an, on an opponent versus just waiting for who that opponent's going to be. So. I think it put us in a good space. How does it, I guess under a normal week during the regular season, right? Does not having the opponent change anything or is early in the week usually kind of focused on yourselves anyway? And then if you're doing any opponent video, is it later in the week usually regardless? So like not knowing the opponent until Wednesday night, does it change the the weekly schedule at all? Or is it all pretty much the same? No, it's all pretty much the same. I mean, at the end of the day, even if we knew our opponent was, all week you know this time of year it's really about you um and you making sure you play your best game and control the controllables and uh put yourself in the best structure and the best place you can be to be successful and i think with um you know this situation where you know that that there'll be games on wednesday and then you'll find out there's a group of four teams you could play you know it just lent itself to even more focus on ourselves which at this point time of the year i think it's a really good thing how important is it from a coaching standpoint, too, to have the buy that you guys were able to secure? Actually, secured the buy a couple of weeks ago. But just kind of looking at it from an outsider's perspective, if you had to play on the Wednesday, you've got you know a day like today where you're going to practice. And it's probably not a normal day of practice because it's the day after a game. And then tomorrow's the day before a game. So how important was it to secure the buy so you could have that regular week of practice and not have all this build up to one game and then really just two days to prepare for, for the next one? You know, I, I, I would uh, told you last year going into the Wednesday game that we had to play in that the bye was good, but not a huge deal. Um, I felt last year, and it might have been because of the way we approached it, um, but I felt that a big part of our game Saturday against uh, Lowell was part of the fact that we had played Wednesday, um, tried to keep the week as normal as possible, but it really wasn't. Um, and that's, you know, I think not playing on Wednesday is a, is a big part of the team's being successful. So I guess the long and short of it is you, you want the, you want the buy if you can get it, not only does it let you, you know, spend a, a day or two resting, but it also gives you a better chance to, you know, be as prepared as you can be on the weekend, just from your own team's perspective. Going into the playoffs too on a, I think it's a five game winning streak for you guys uh, had been playing well, you know, for a couple of games before that too. Uh, it's probably been eight games in a row where I thought you guys have played really well, just happened to, to win the last five. How important was it from a confidence standpoint, do you think, to, to get those results 
in the right direction here in the last five games, just from a, a confidence standpoint, from inside that locker room, getting those results. I know talking to guys after the game uh, on, on Saturday against Vermont and, you know, the weekend before, it, it just seemed like the, the mood was a lot different amongst the players now that some of that success has come back again in a good way. Like there was more confidence there than there maybe was uh, back a month ago. Yeah, no doubt we were fighting it a month ago. Um, completely, I would say. And getting those wins, it just changes your, yeah, it doesn't change your team's um, confidence level. I would say it does. Um, but I think what it changes the most is kind of your mojo. You know, you, you, it, the practice is not such a grind. Uh, the things you, you know, going to the strength room is not such a grind. It just a light, it just feels lighter. And um, that's, you know, I think when we got, like, it's just like winning on Friday, you go into Saturday, you're a little bit lighter, you know, and um, the other team's pressing a little bit. And then, you know, that happened two weekends in a row. Then obviously getting the one against uh, Vermont was, was big. And, um, you know, I think our team is in a good spot uh, from a confidence standpoint, excited to be, part of the tournament and hoping to advance in the tournament. Uh, obviously, I mean, you, you want to win this tournament. Obviously, that's the one that's, that's right in front of you. But uh, is it hard to ignore kind of the pairwise and, and that stuff as well and paying attention to I mean, your numbers and where you are and looking at other results and how that may affect things? Or do you really just have to try to keep it as laser focused on on what's in front of you as you can? I think you really have to focus in on what's in front of you. I mean, I've been in situations on other teams where, um, you know, you were already in going into the Hockey East playoffs and you knew that you were going to, you know, your season was going to continue. Uh, did that make it any easier to play in the Hockey East playoffs? Probably slightly, but not in a way that I think was actually good, you know, because you kind of, you know, you went into the playoffs knowing you had to have the carrot at the end and, you know, maybe you just didn't uh, prepare quite as hard as you should be, you know, and I don't think that coaches did that. I don't even think the players consciously do that, but I, I think that staying laser focused on, you know, Boston college and folk and taking a step, hopefully from that game to the next level of our own playoffs, you know, that's critical. And, and I think it will allow us to play better. Um, and I think, you know, we did learn, I think around Christmas time when we got flat as a team, uh, it was partially because people were paying attention to things that we were really out of our control, a.k.a. the pairwise and some other things. Uh, and we were obviously in a good position with it at the time. But I think it got us off track. You know, paying attention to stuff you can't control just doesn't help you control what you can control. And that that was a big part of what happened to us at Christmas, I thought. We've talked about Ben Brock a couple of times here over the last couple of weeks, but he scored another goal on Saturday. He's got four goals in the last four games. And it just seems like, you know, when you guys need a big goal, he had a, you know, a big goal against BU a couple of weeks ago on that Saturday. It's like when a big goal is needed, it seems like he's been the one that's been coming up big and, and getting those goals. Uh, what have you seen from him over the last couple of weeks? I know, again, you've talked about him quite a bit, but it just seems like he's risen, raised his game to any, an even another level here over the last couple of weeks. I think he has. I think that, you know, that's what makes him a really good leader. Uh, he wants that to be on him. Uh, he wants that responsibility. Uh, he thrives in those situations. And I think that he's really playing with, and he's been a good player since the day he got here, right? Uh, we know that. You know that. You've watched him a lot. But uh, he hasn't been in a place he is right now. You know, he's leading our team. He's leading a team that finished in second place. He's having a huge impact on both sides of the puck. 
I think his confidence level is in a really good place. Uh, his hunger level is in an even better place. Um, and that's, you know, lent to him being very, very successful. So nothing he does the rest of the way is going to surprise me. I, you know, I could see him doing some real big things down the stretch here. Uh, he already has, and the next step would obviously be, be pretty impressive. But I, I think, and I th- I've said this same statement a, a lot, but I really believe he's the most underrated guy in our league. Like, I just, he does everything for our team. Um, and I think that people don't appreciate that sometimes because his numbers aren't as explosive as some others. But if you put it all together, you know, he does a lot for this club and a lot of stuff you, you have to love. He seems like more of a, of a lead by example type too. I mean, just from talking to him and from talking to some other guys, like he, he's not just leading your team as a captain and, and maybe saying the right things at the right times, but it, it's definitely a, a lead by example, kind of do as I do, you know, type of thing. Yeah, exactly. He, that's who he is. You know, he's never, he's never been a rah, rah, rah guy. Uh, he's never, you know, he's never tried to get the spotlight. You know, if he has a spotlight because it came to him, uh, he doesn't seek it out. And I think that that is, it's, you know, as a, as a player, you know, who AKA is one of the followers of that leadership, you have to respect that, appreciate it. He works hard at his craft every day. He doesn't take any days off. Uh, and I think that I really do believe guys respect that and they see that and they respond to it. Uh, what have you seen from Boston College? Obviously, you guys played them earlier in the year. It was all the way back in November. It feels like it was ages ago at this point. But uh, what have you seen from BC over this stretch? And obviously, you said you watched some of that game last night. Uh, impressions from them and maybe what they may be doing differently now than what they were doing in, in November. How do they look different from compared to the last time you saw them? Well, the, the one thing is that they've gotten a little bit older. You know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. uh, uh Oh my gosh, the name's slipping me. I'm just gonna say it to you, Gauthier and Gasso. I don't, yeah. and I apologize if I'm saying the names wrong. But uh, those two guys, when we played them, they were freshmen, you know, and they they were trying to get their their legs underneath them. And now they're not freshmen anymore, you know, and they're playing very very well. And they they're able to create offense on the puck and off the puck. Uh, they're playing with uh, Nescareco, who I've thought for a couple of years one of the best players in the league if not the country, uh, those three guys are together now. That's a really explosive group, three very strong players, three very smart players, and th- three guys who can find the net. So I think what they've done is they've really leaned into their top end uh, more over the last month than they were before, uh, and that top end is playing great for them. Uh, is there anything you try – I mean, if, kind of looking at the lines you guys have rolled out over the last couple of games, uh, do you think there's – um, and maybe you don't know yet. Is there a way to kind of play them? Do you, do you want to see that Lee Bold line out against that top line at, when you can? I mean, and how important is that line matching going to be in a situation like this where they rely so heavily on that line? Whatever line you think you may have that works best against that, you'll have that opportunity to try to get it out there as much as you can. Well, that's one of the reasons you try to get home ice um, and, and, and get in the third place spot or second as we ended up doing, but that's why third place was so important to us to try to be a home ice for the for this round. But I, I would say that, you know, we they play that line so much. I think we're a really good team because we are a full line team. So while I want to be aware of who's on the ice for BC, I don't want line match to keep guys on our team off the ice, uh, if you know what I mean. And I yeah. think that sometimes coaches get 
over the top on, hey, I got to play Ryan Liebold against this line. And now Ryan Liebold's line plays 20 minutes and a different line who's normally a big minute line doesn't play as much. And that's not good. So I, I think we will try to be uh, aware when that line's on the ice, but they, they have other good players too. I only mentioned those two because uh, those three players, those two, because there's been a big growth in their game since October. And that's one of the reasons I think their team has had a pretty good stretch here in the second half. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I kind of am a little bit. I know you guys have been rotating the goalies all year. I'm not going to ask you what the decision is. I'm going to ask, when do you think the decision will be made on, on, on who starts in goal on Saturday? Is that something that'll wait until tomorrow or, or even Saturday? Uh, you know what, how we typically do the lineup is we'd be telling a team on Saturday um, and we'd be meeting as a staff Friday after practice. You know, I'd, from that meeting, I'll come up with a lineup. Uh, then in the morning, I will send it to the staff uh, and give them an opportunity to, to change it. Uh, or to think about it anyways and offer changes and then send it to the team uh, Saturday morning. So, you know, we'll keep our same routine in that regard uh, just to make sure that our guys are, I think that's what they're comfortable with. They understand it. Uh, and, and honestly, I think uh, me making a lineup doesn't make a lot of sense. when I have a lot of talented guys around me. So we try to do it as a group and that's just the easiest way to do it. But the goaltending position right now for us is a strength, obviously, uh, making that decision won't be easy because I'm pretty confident in both guys, you know, and, um, but we are in the home stretch of the playoffs. There's no need to stay in the rotation. So we, we got to figure out uh, who's going to give us the best chance to win that game. And, and I would imagine, look, I mean, it's a decision that has to be made, right? But it, it's, you'd much rather this decision where you've got two guys that are playing pretty well right now, as opposed to the opposite where it's two guys who aren't playing very well. And you got to figure out which one, which one you have more confidence in, right? This is a situation where they're both playing well. You have confidence in both of them. And it's just a matter of which one do you think puts you in a better position this weekend? But it's, it's the much better decision to have to make than, than what maybe some other teams have that, that rotate goalies. No question. And you know, earlier in my tenure, uh, we have rotated goalies for to a, to a totally opposite reason than we're rotating these two. Uh, and that's, that is stressful um, for everybody concerned, including the goaltenders. But I think now being in the place we are with this group, uh, these guys really, I, I'm very confident that no matter who I put in the net on Saturday, we're going to get a good game in the net. I'm also very confident that the guy who doesn't play will be ready to play if needed in that game. Uh, and also, we'll be rooting for the guy who's playing in front of him. Uh, that's one of the strengths of our team is that I think that those two guys are fans of each other and, and have really carried each other's game because of it and made each other stronger. And when you have that situation, number one, you're really lucky. Uh, but number two, it's really easy. And that's where I think we're at. So it's hard decisions it will be. Um, I'm comfortable that if we make it, the next game we play, we'll have to make another decision because the, the other guy will be ready to go. All right, Coach, well, Merrimack and BC, Saturday night uh, at Lawler. It's been a, a bit, pretty big week around the Merrimack campus. Hopefully you guys can keep it rolling, and uh, we'll talk to you on Saturday. I appreciate it, and it has been a huge week. Great job by our basketball team uh, on uh, Tuesday. Exciting for the campus. It was it was a lot of fun. I don't watch a lot of basketball in person. That's the first one I think I've watched the whole game since, since I have uh, been here, and it was a pretty special night for the college and obviously for Joe and and his team. So congratulations to them, and we're going to try to match their feet. All right, Coach, good luck this weekend.
Thanks, Mike. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the TMR Podcast. Thanks again for listening and downloading the show. Thanks to Scott Bork for being our guest. Congratulations to the Merrimack men's basketball team and Joe Gallo for their success this year. Uh, One more note about the men's basketball team. I had a lot of people ask me this week, hey, do you think they'll go to the CBI or to the CIT? Uh, I don't think so. You know, just, hey, (laughs) the end of the day, would you rather finish your season up in a tournament that not a lot of people are paying attention to or would you rather finish your season by cutting down the nets at home, winning an NEC championship? I think cutting down the nets is a nice way. It's a nice way to tie a bow on the 22-23 season for the men's basketball team. So we'll see, but my guess is that I doubt they end up at one of those tournaments. I just don't see the upside. But again, I could be wrong, uh, but we will see. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the show. Thanks again for listening and downloading. Thanks to Scott Borg for being our guest, and we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the games this weekend. So long.